anyway, it's a nice uh, visual there, the waves of devotion. Uh, so, sir, sir, thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, folks. Good to be back. There's no place like home. And actually, waves waves of devotion works too because um, devotional service to the Lord is sometimes compared to an ocean with different sides of the ocean and different waves within each side. We have a whole book on this. It's called The Nectar of Devotion. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So it appears to be a mistake, but actually it's perfect. Catch a wave and you're sitting on top of the world. That's true in Krishna consciousness. <laughs> okay, yeah, tomorrow's Labor Day, so I didn't want to give it short shrift because we're going to be absorbed in Janmashtami, the appearance of Lord Krishna. It's a great drama, and you're going to see that drama played out in many ways tomorrow evening through dance and song and big bathing ceremony. Krishna actually appeared at midnight in a rainstorm, in a prison. There's a message in there. This is not our home material world. So Krishna, he likes drama, he likes symbolism. So he did that. For, his, for many reasons he, he appeared that way. But, and then we're going to show a whole slideshow about that appearance called Mystery at Midnight. So tomorrow, yeah, Labor Day. Uh, it's, a, it's a uniquely American holiday, although it's been adapted all over the world. 19th century, the American labor movement was pushing back against the, uh, quote, manifest destiny of capitalism run amok. Uh, we all read the history books, right? The history written by the, uh, the winners. So, uh, yeah, so in the late 19th century, the workers were pushing back. They wanted a decent life, not just to work for exploiters. And it uh, just kept going strong, strong. It's challenged now in, with a global economy. But what I like to do is, is try to take Labor Day uh, to the next level. Because we all have to work. Krista says that in the Gita. Niyatam kudu karmatvam. Karma is often a synonym for work, action. Karma jayo hya karma naha shavira yatra pichate na prasidhyeda karma naha. What does that mean? I forget. Perform your prescribed duty, for action is better than reaction. One cannot even maintain one's body without work. So we have to do something. Have you noticed? Life doesn't just come to us, you know, the, uh, food doesn't just come to us. I once had a barber in Mifflin, Pennsylvania, when I was selling oil paintings to support our farm in southeast Pennsylvania. So I was keeping some hair. And uh, so I would go to Bill Dressler in Mifflin, PA. And, uh, he asked us how we how we made our money. I said, oh, different ways. We had different businesses. He said, yep, that's why I cut hair. If I don't cut hair, I don't eat. So we have to maintain our bodies just to work. But there's a higher purpose 
to work. Let's look at that. Uh, let's look at how Krishna describes the dignity of labor, all kinds of labors, in the 18th chapter of the Gita. Now, he's, he's using classic Vedic Sanskrit terms to describe different kinds of workers. And really, uh, they're just universal, universal divisions. Some people are inclined toward uh, teaching and, say, uh, preaching. Some people are inclined toward administration. I, I call them soldiers and statesmen. Some toward business and trade. And some, and but most most of us are simply working for others, and that's perfectly honorable too. So in the 18th chapter, Krishna says, Brahmins, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, and Shudras are distinguished by the qualities born of their own nature. So as soon as we come into this world, we have certain tendencies toward action, and they generally manifest pretty soon. That's why in uh, Krishna culture, all kids go to what's called Gurukula. It means the place of the guru. And then after Gurukula ends, puberty begins. And that's where the child's ten real strong tendencies toward work uh, manifest. And those qualities are born of, of how we've associated with material nature for many lives. It's like how was Mozart able to, you know, think of, compose a symphony at the age of five, right? All these things. Uh, people are born with certain talents, strengths, challenges. That's according to how we've associated with nature. So here's the uh, the head of society, and these these different types of workers are roughly analogous to different parts of our body. So, peacefulness, self-control, austerity, purity, tolerance, honesty, knowledge, wisdom, and religiousness, today would translate as spirituality. These are the natural qualities by which the Brahmins work. So people who are inclined toward philosophy and spirituality, they're called Brahmins, and they're meant to guide society, just like our head is the command and control system of the body. Without a good command and control, nothing really happens nicely. And then the next one, heroism, power, determination, resourcefulness, courage in battle, generosity, and leadership are the natural qualities of work for the Chantriyas. So in the body, that's compared to the arms. That's the natural instinct when we're attacked, is to try to protect ourselves, or if we trip, the arms go down to brace you, like that. Soldiers, statesmen, that kind of person. Farming, cow protection, and business. Now business meaning, in Krishna culture, means trade. It doesn't mean ex exploitation, where for the enjoyment of, you know, maybe 1% of the population, everybody else has to slave away. Farming, cow protection, and business are the natural work for the Vaishyas, and for the Shudras, there is labor and service to others. So the, the belly in the body is compared to the, uh, the business class or the, the people who are generating wealth. And in a spiritual society, they're meant to 
uh, distribute that wealth, not to hoard it. There's a, a famous story from the Hittopadesh, which was the, f um, the forerunner of Aesop's fables. And it was called, the story is called in Sanskrit, the Shindriyanam, which means the 10 senses, the working senses, or excuse me, the knowledge acquiring senses like taste, sound, smell, touch, uh, hearing. And then the working senses like the arms and the legs, etc. And they all decided one day in this parable to go on strike. They didn't want to feed the belly anymore because the belly just sits there. And that was their attitude. What's this belly? You just sit, we, here we are, we're hunting and gathering, you know, all our, we're marshalling all our sensory powers just to feed this lazy guy. And so what happened, of course, they went on strike, but what happened? They became weak because they weren't feeding the, the belly. So that's the job of the, uh, the Vaishyas, is to feed the rest of the body, the social body, just as the individual body. And then shudra, shudra siyapis vabhavajam, which means um, for, say, like manual laborers or just anybody assisting others, uh, labor and service to others. And they are essential because without, and that's compared to the legs, like if I were just a talking head and I couldn't, I couldn't do much because I'm just talking. Okay, talking is important but I want to be able to execute what I'm talking about. So this is how Krishna divides labor in the Gita. Now, he doesn't just talk about work, Krishna. He talks about how to transform work into yoga. Let's go to chapter 3, text 9, famous verse. He says, work done as a sacrifice for God, or Vishnu, it means God, has to be performed. Otherwise, work causes bondage in this material world. Therefore, perform your prescribed duties for his, capital H, satisfaction, and in that way you will always remain free from bondage. So if you know the context of the Gita, Krishna is singing his Gita, his song, to his disciple Arjuna, and to all of us, by extension, Arjuna being an historical person, but also representing everyone. So if you know the Gita, it's spoken just on the verge of a battle. And all of a sudden, the main warrior on the, on the good guy's side, Arjuna, he doesn't want to fight because he's facing friends and family on the other side of the battlefield. And he thinks, rightly so, or ordinarily rightly so, that this is wrong. We shouldn't do this. He was preaching to Krishna, in effect, Krishna, thou shalt not kill. It's like we hear in the Bible, right? Thou shalt not kill. So the Gita is such an elevated scripture that it starts from this point of, of the one needing enlightenment, saying to God, God, thou shalt not kill. So Krishna sings the whole Gita to Arjuna and to all of us to remind us that we all have a part to play in this divine drama called life. And there is a place actually for defense, not like today where it's like cons it consumes most of the budgets of the, the countries of the world or the big powers. But there's a place, just like there's a place for protecting, so we have arms. Um, so there's a place uh, for defense. Arjuna didn't want to fight, he didn't want to do his duty. So Krishna had to sing the whole Gita to him to say, look, you're born to fight. 
to protect. So why are you trying to imitate a, a sadhu now and go off in the woods and you just want to have a begging bowl and be no, you're you're by your nature you'll have to fight. So in chapter three, text nine, purport, Prabhupada writes. Since one has to work even for the simple maintenance of the body, the prescribed duties for a particular social position and quality are so made that that purpose can be fulfilled. So we all have a part to play. And just because, as I've said before in class, just because my toe is, say, the lowest part of my body, if it gets hurt, I'm going to do all I can to get it fixed right away. I can't disdain it because it's the lower part of my body. Similarly, in a spiritual culture, a spiritual society, even though everybody's doing different things, there's mutual appreciation instead of <coughs> cutthroat competition and exploitation. It's about cooperating to serve the source of all, where we've gotten all our energy from. And that's yoga. Jaga, sacrifice, means the supreme. All sacrificial performances are meant for the satisfaction of the Lord. Let me skip down and see. Therefore, one has to work for the satisfaction of Vishnu. Now, that's a, that's a foreign idea to us in conditioned life. We have to work for the satisfaction of somebody else. But actually, it's not foreign because that's what we're doing anyway. Right? We're working for our families or our country or just to maintain our body. We have to feed the body, rest it, like that. So service is our uh, constant companion. But how to transform again, how to transform that, that work we have to do into service to the Supreme. Thus the perfection of our labors is to please Krishna and return back home, back to Godhead. So when we find out how Krishna wants us to work, not denying our t tendencies, but understanding how he wants us to use those tendencies, then we're on to something. Then we're on to uh, making our life meaningful. Otherwise, what are we doing? If we're simply working for this body and the extensions of our body, our family, or our country, or trying to serve all humanity, we're actually unwittingly generating karma. And karma is not actually desirable, despite what we might think popularly about good karma. Yeah, it's only it's good, it's but it's only relative. It only it only gets us so far in the material world. The whole point is we're not of this world. We're spirit. And so the real purpose of life is to transform our karma, our actions, into yoga, into working for the Supreme. Sometimes, I'm just reading my notes here, sometimes people ask me what I have to, quote, to show for being in the Hare Krishna movement for 48 years. <laughs> well, I live in a nice little bungalow and back at the restaurant, it's very nice. Yeah, but what do you got to show for it? So this is a typical calculation of, of us in the material world, that we, that we want to acquire things. We associate advancement with acquisition forgetting all the while that, as the saying goes, you can't take it with you. So real advancement is actually internal. It's, it's not uh, external. So, but if I don't want to give that kind of protracted explanation to somebody, I might just make a joke and say, well, 
It's true. In the Hare Krishna movement, uh, the wages, it was supposed to be wages, <laughs> the wages are lousy, but the fringe benefits are out of this world. <laughs> now that's actually selling bhakti yoga short, because um, I'd like to point out another verse in the Gita. The Gita is really a manual for life. It's very scientific. It's got everything in all other wisdom books, but it's got even more, more detail, more breadth, more depth. So in the last verse of the eighth chapter, Attaining the Supreme, Krishna says, one of my favorite verses, Vedeshu jaggeshu tapasu chaiva Dhanishu yat punya palam pratishtam Atyeti tatsarva midam viditva Yogi Every time Krishna ends a chapter, he throws what I call a roundhouse punch. He just sums everything up in one verse. And he, in attaining the Supreme, he does it beautifully at the end. Listen to this. In plain English, that's what, this is what it means. A person who accepts the path of devotional service is not bereft of the results derived from studying. Listen to this list now. You know, what, what, what do you have to show for it? So Chris is saying, if you take up bhakti, what are the wages of devotion? If you take up bhakti, you, you don't miss out on the results derived from studying the Vedas. So people, they spend their whole lives, you know, say they're verminical types, they're scholarly types, and they just... They, they, and they perfect their, their little field. You know, people specialize in fields so that when something happens and the media wants to know why, they go to this such and such specialist, right? So if you take up devotional service to the Lord, you don't miss out on becoming wise, performing sacrifices. So you think of people who are, who are revered in history, and these are people who made big, big sacrifices, right? Like, what is it now? It's uh, August. So, okay, so in, uh, Indian independence happened. So people think of Gandhi or Subhash Bose or Nehru. And they revere those people because they really sacrificed their whole life to get the boot of the British Raj off their necks. And so even after they pass away, they're remembered, they're remembered. Okay, performing sacrifices, undergoing austerities. As we all know, if you want to succeed in anything in this world, you've got to practice, practice, practice. As Tom Edison, the famous American inventor, once said, most people shrink from a challenge because it comes dressed in overalls and looks like hard work. And Edison was famous for like inventing the light bulb and this and that. He had so many inventions. And then they asked him how he did it. Well, he said, after failing for 99 times, I finally hit it on the 100th time. He was very persistent. He didn't give up. So that's a kind of austerity. It's a kind of hardship to do that. But that's the way, that's the way of the world. To accomplish anything, we have to uh, really put our nose to the grindstone. So we're not, we don't miss out from having undergone austerities. Uh, we are giving charity or pursuing philosophical and fruitive activities. So also people revere very charitable people who run foundations, right? They want to help the world and 
But what is real help? What's the ultimate help? And we don't dismiss that. It's, it's important. Um, but what's the perfection of, of help? It's to help people understand who we are so we can actually transcend this rat race of birth and death. That's the highest welfare work. The gift of knowledge and the gift of devotion, that's what propels our consciousness to an atmosphere beyond this mundane plane. Simply by performing devotional service, one attains all of these. Now, people spend their whole lives just trying to perfect one. Krishna says, if you serve me, you, you're going to get the benefits of having done all these. And at the end, one reaches the supreme eternal abode. You, don't, you can take it with you. You can take devotion with you. That's what sticks to the soul. The consciousness, consciousness, the quality of the consciousness, that's the soul. And that we can take with us back home, back to Godhead. I can tell you personally, like I just came back from the road. So I know by my karma, from my horoscope, isn't all that great, right? Or my palm. People look at my palm and they say things like, um, how are you living? By <laughs> uh, <laughs> the mercy of God. So I just came back from a tour, right? Teaching Canada, America. That's off the charts. That's not in my stars. That's not in my palm. But Krishna wants it, so he he carries what I lack. He preserves what I have, and he carries what I lack. And he says, "Okay, yeah, you're not really you don't really deserve it, but I we need this done. Okay, so do this. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah." Simply by performing devotional service, he attains all these, and at the end, he reaches the supreme, eternal abode. Such a deal, such an offer we can't refuse. So it's 6.24. I'm going to stop speaking and ask if you have any questions about the waves of devotion. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Everybody agree? No hands? That means you all agree? Okay, here we go. Yeah. Well, just if, have you read have you read this book? Yes. Have you read this book? Bhagavad Gita? Krishna is asking Arjuna to kill his friends and family. And that sounds outrageous, right? But you have to know, know the context. You have to know that why Krishna asked him to do this. Because his friends and family happened to be on the, the side of, of the war of people who were actually ruining the world. And if you come tomorrow night, you're going to see that. Once upon a time, 5,000 years ago, when the world was overrun by the defense force of demoniac of, of demons who were posing as rulers but were, actu but were actually demons, posing as the royal order. So most of the time, Krishna asks us to do things that even by mundane yardsticks are good. But sometimes, he asks us to do things which don't they seem to be, what do they say, counterintuitive, right? But then there's always a deeper, a higher reason for it. So 
the shorter the short answer to your question is yes, and the longer answer is this. <laughs> your homework is to read the Bhagavad Gita. And the test is the time of death. Yang yang vapis manon bhavam tyajatyante kalevaram tam tam evaitikonte yasadatad bhagavadataha. Whatever state of being one remembers when he quits this body, that state he will attain without feel, fail. Just like when we, when we go to sleep at night, I've mentioned how Shakespeare calls uh, sleep death's counterfeit. Because when we become unconscious physically, then we, we forget our whole existence. We just start dreaming we're somebody else. So that's what death is. It's the sum total of what we've been really cherishing all our lives, and that carries us to the next term. So we want to be absorbed in transcendence, in loving service to our beloved source called in Krishna culture, called in Vedic culture, Krishna, ultimately, the supreme cool person, <laughs> all attractive. I've also mentioned how... Uh, the famous philosopher Nietzsche was always being hounded by his Christians to, uh, you know, so-called, not real Christians, but so-called Christians to uh, repent, surrender to God, or else you're going to burn forever in the lake of fire. And so Nietzsche would scoff and say, huh, you want me to believe in God? You want me to believe in your God? I could only believe in a God who dances. So when the curtains open, that's what we do. It's the same God, but sometimes Krishna presents himself as a very forbidding personality to get us to maybe fly right. <laughs> we talk about the fear of God, you know. That's a, a little fear is good, just to sober us up. There's different aspects to the Supreme, but when you come to the yoga text from India, you'll find out ultimately the source of all is this very playful, very humorous, very uh, compassionate person who just likes to have fun. Therefore, the waves of devotion. <laughs> I'm not rubbing it in. <laughs> Confession, right? <laughs> Actually, it's very good. It's, it, was, it was divinely or, it was ordained. Okay. So let's uh, dance with the Lord, and please come tomorrow night because there'll be a whole lot of dancing, a whole lot of singing, a whole lot of drama. Sorry. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada, Ki Jai.